0: Man, I love that song, and if you saw me running around the auditorium and doing a little dance, it's it's like, where did I leave my sermon notes, and I'm going, "Ah!" and then I found it, and I was rejoicing in the Lord, and rejoicing in the discovery of my notes, all right, and I I had everybody else running around, that's my life, I, I know, but I found it, we're good, everything's awesome, God is good, hey, um, before we jump into the message, just two quick things. Uh, first, give yourself a round of applause for Pacham this week. i tell you what, it, was a, it, it took a lot of people. Uh, Steve Bailey did a great job leading up, but he could not do it by himself, yeah. right? He couldn't do it without uh, people spending night and providing food. And interestingly, um, some of the Pacham men, two guys where they left, um, gave Steve some money. So he goes, you're not supposed to pay us. And They go. Well, in the restroom, we saw the sign that you're having a special offering, and we wanted to contribute to it. So, is that awesome or what, man? That, that is so good. God is good. It's obviously those guys don't have much, right? But what they experienced here, they they wanted to, they wanted to share that. And, and I, I just wanted to clarify something real quick with the food for next week. You don't have to bring a backpack. Just bring the food, and they actually put it in the student's backpack, okay? And there's an insert that explains all that. Okay, we're in this series called Love Is. And as I've repeatedly said since we kicked this puppy off on the 13th of October, is that this is an absolutely critical and vital conversation for us to have, both as a church and as individual Jesus followers, because nothing is more important than love. Uh, Nothing is more powerful than love. Uh, Nothing is more needed than love, needed in our homes, needed in our marriages, needed in our relationships, needed in our community, needed in our world, and needed in our church. And because God's holy inspired word says the following about love. Uh, These scriptures were true last week, and they were true 2,000 years ago. I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you show up to church every Sunday and never miss a Sunday school class, no. That's good, but it's if you have love for one another. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Galatians 5 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 1 Peter 4 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And then John, 1 John four twelve, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love has brought the full expression in us. And now, so far in the series, we've talked about the unrelenting love of God. We've talked about how love is patient, and how love is kind, and... How Love Does Not Envy. And by the way, how did you do this past week with this envy thing? Like, like did, you, did you stop comparing? Did you start enjoying? Remember, love, it, love loves grace. Grace to other people and grace to you. And did you keep trusting? Did you keep trusting in God's goodness and in God's plan for your life? Guys, here's the deal. If you want the world to know that you're a Jesus follower, if you want God to live in and through you, if you want his love to be brought to full expression in your life, if you want to do the only thing that counts, if you want to fulfill the law, if you want to cover a multitude of sins, and if you want to see and experience radical life change in your home, in your marriage, and your relationships, in this church, in our community, and in our world, then you need to not merely listen to these truths about love. Instead, you must actively, tangibly, and continuously live them out. Yeah, it's great to sit here on Sunday and be convicted to nod our heads and say amen, but it's living them out that really matters. Get it? Good. Good. And and, and that's what these two walls up front are for, these two love is walls, right? And and the goal of these walls, right, is, you know, I even even stuck a post-it note. Well, I didn't do it. My son, when he stuffed the bulletins, okay, Uh, uh, but he's my son, so I kind of did it, right? But (laughs) he stuffed it and he put a post-it note, right? right on each bulletin right because because this is when you live out an expression of God's kind of love you forgive someone you do an act of kindness you show patience or whatever you just write it down you don't put your name on it you don't put their name on it but then you bring it in there and you put it on that wall and my goal was not to brag on ourselves but to brag about the power of God's kind of love and to do what he commanded in Hebrews let us spur one another on to love and to good deeds right so I just encourage you right you know Live it out. Think about how you're tangibly living out these acts of love. It, it will make a difference. Now, this morning, we're going to unpack the last four words of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, that describes yet another facet of God's love. Love is not proud. Love's not proud. Now, I, I did a lot of listening, a lot of reading this week on this topic. And one guy, um, Francis Chan, I was listening to some of his uh, talks about it. He says that he always finds speaking on the topic of pride to be extremely frustrating. He says because the people who really need to hear the message are people who struggle with pride. Yet they are proud, yet if they're proud, they're less likely to hear the message and connect the message to themselves. You see, the prideful, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. And so as we begin this conversation this morning, I would like to ask you a question. Will you make yourself open to the possibility that you struggle with pride? Like, is it possible that pride has been an issue that has kept you from loving people in the life in your life the way God wants you to? And listen, if you cannot be open to the possibility then I'll tell you the answer already. You struggle with pride. And here's how I want to tackle our conversation. I want to pack three statements. The hate God loves. And then you might need some defining. I'm deflating if New England Patriots deflated a football. I know that. All right, get it out of your system. All right, okay. I know someone's saying, okay, I can't wait this. He's talking about deflating. I can talk about deflating even then, all right? And uh, it's time to try <laughs> humiliate. I beat you to it, didn't I? All right. Uh, love is not proud. Love is not proud. Now, the word translated proud in, in this verse is a Greek word, phousiajo, phousiajo. It, it, it means to inflate, to puff up, to blow up, uh, to bear oneself loftily, to be proud, or to be arrogant, Fusi'ao. It took me, you wouldn't believe all the ways I got to write that down so I could say that. I think I actually did a pretty good job. You can go check it out this week if you want, if you feel so inclined. But love is not proud. I'm turning to the person to your right and left and tell them, love is not proud. And then tell them, then what the heck's wrong with you? No. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, uh, understand, whenever there's pride, love is missing because love and pride, they, they, they cannot coexist, right? And, and I got to be honest, each week, you know, I, I spend an entire week like studying and reading on these things. And I got to just tell you, all I'm discovering is that I am an impatient, unkind, envious, prideful person, right? I am so messed up. I have so far to go. And I'm so glad I'm in good company this morning. <laughs> First point in your notes is the hate God loves. Let me ask you a question What do you hate? What do you hate? Now, 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 now when it comes to things that I hate, I have kind of two lists. Um, one list is kind of silly and trivial. Uh, and you'll find on things like this I hate meatloaf, I hate diet soda, I hate raw onions. I hate cranberry sauce. I hate cottage cheese. I hate watching people eat cottage cheese. (laughs) I hate single-ply toilet paper. I hate all sports teams associated with New York, right? I hate the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? I know, I'm sorry. You're allowed to hate pools, not people, right? (laughs) It's in the Bible. Uh, (laughs) I, I hate paper jams on printers. I hate slow or erratic Wi Fi. I really hate wrongly cooked fried chicken, right? Uh, what do you hate? Now, the second list of things that I hate is not so trivial. I hate abortion. I hate child abuse. I hate racism of any kind. I hate sex trafficking. I hate false doctrine. I hate when people lie, deny, or twist the truth. I hate gossip and slander. I hate when people disrespect our flag, our country, the men who serve, and and the the law enforcement, police officers who put their life on the line. I I hate when they're disrespected. I hate cancer. I hate starvation. I hate disease. I hate that over 40 million people around the world today live in slavery. So, what do you hate? You know what God hates? God hates pride. I mean, God really hates pride. God hates pride to the depth of His very being. His very being is really deep. Uh, one of the books I, I read this week is written by C.J. Mahaney. It's called "Humility: True Greatness." He says this: "You and I hate nothing to the degree that God hates pride. His hatred for pride is pure. His hatred for pride is holy." Uh, Which is why, brothers and sisters, there actually is a love that, there actually is a hate that God loves. Understand, God loves when we hate pride, and he especially loves when you and I hate pride, the pride that exists in our own lives. Get it? Good. Now, from my study this week, I'm convinced that there's nothing God hates more than pride. Yes, God righteously hates all sin, but listen... Biblical evidence abounds for the conclusion that there's no sin more offensive to God than pride. I mean, when his word reveals in Proverbs chapter 16, the, the seven things that God hates, the seven things that are an abomination to God, you know what leads the list? It's the proud man's haughty eyes. And when the personified wisdom of God speaks out in Proverbs 8.13, we read, the fear the Lord is to hate evil, I hate, pride, and arrogance. And if you need more proof of how God feels about pride, check out his divine perspective on pride from Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Brothers and sisters, stronger language for any other sin simply cannot be found in Scripture. A few more verses to drive this point home. Haughty eyes, a proud heart, and evil schemes are all sin. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. No wonder God hates sin, right? There's no room for him. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, I will put into silence. You've been doing that? Whoever has haughty, eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Peter 5, 5, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I understand God hates, God detests, God tears down, God will not tolerate, and God opposes the proud. Now, now I can think a lot of people I I wouldn't want to have as an opponent. I I would not want to be in a swimming lane next to Michael Phelps. I I would not want to be on a basketball court opposed by LeBron James. I I would not want to be in an auction going against against Bill Gates. But the person I I really don't want to be an opponent of is God. Because there's no way I'm ever going to win that battle. And listen, the Bible says that when you are proud, God is not just mildly irritated with you. God is in opposition to you. God detests you. God will tear you down. God will not tolerate you. Get it? Good. Right? I like I'm not making it up. God hates pride. And pride really does destroy it destroys our relationship with God. Pride destroys marriages. Pride destroys homes. Pride destroys families. Pride, my goodness, destroys governments. I'm not going there. Pride destroys churches. In fact, a major cause of all the division. And disunity in the church in Corinth, I mean, seven times Paul uses the same word found in 1 Corinthians 13, this word for pride, for puffed up, seven times he calls them out for being prideful because there was so much division, division over different leaders. I like this leader. I like this leader. My gift's better than your gift. You know, all this nuts. And it caused conflict. C.J. Mahoney says in his book, Humility to Greatness, pride undermines unity and can ultimately divide a church. Show me, show me church, show me any church where there's division, where there's quarreling, and also your church where there's what? There's pride. See, I'm convinced we need to take pride more seriously, right? And I can say, hey, I struggle with pride. And you're like, well, okay, everybody does, right? No big deal. If I said, hey, I really struggled with lust last week, the point, I was just like checking everybody out, right? That would, like, disgust you, right? I mean, you're totally creeped out by that, hey, as you should be. But why, why is like pride, right? Oh, pride, you're prideful. Now, stop going there. I, I didn't, right? I was trying to make a point, and maybe I shouldn't have went there. Okay, there is, right, there is a hate that God loves, and God loves when you hate pride. Amen? Next, you might need some deflating if. Now, in 1993... Uh, Jeff Foxworthy released an album called You Might Be a Redneck, If. It sold three million copies and started the You Might Be a Redneck fad and helped millions of people figure out whether or not they were a redneck. If you own a home that is mobile and 14 cars that aren't, you might be a redneck. If you've been married three times and you still have the same in-laws, you might be a redneck. If you've ever been accused of lying through your tooth, (laughs) you might be a redneck. If you ever mowed your lawn and found a car, you might be a redneck. If both your dog and your wallet are on a chain, you might be a redneck. If the directions to your house include the words, turn off the paved road, you might be a redneck. If your mother has a spit cup on the ironing board, you might be a redneck. If you think the stock market has a fence around it, you might be a redneck. If you think a subdivision is part of a math problem, you might be a redneck. If your wife has ever said, come move this transmission so I can take a bath, you might be a redneck. All right, that was fun. I don't care who you are, right? Now, do you remember the meaning of that Greek word in 1 Corinthians 13? For proud, to inflate, to puff up, to blow up, to burn oneself, loftily, to be proud or arrogant. Well, I want to suggest six things, right? I want to help you figure out whether or not you might be prideful, okay? If you have a tendency to take everything personally, you might need some deflating. Now, some of you are like, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't take everything personally. Calm down. Breathe. It's all right. Go easy. But this is you. You have a tendency to get defensive. You have a tendency to kind of put up a case for yourself all the time. Like if someone asks you a question, even if they don't mean anything by it, you see it as an indictment. If you see two of your friends talking, you immediately assume that they're talking about you and that what they're saying isn't nice. And so you kind of approach people with a, what's that supposed to mean, attitude. You take things personally. You're quick to defend yourself. Bottom line, being easily offended is rooted in pride. And we can't stand to be disrespected or misunderstood. If you think your feelings are the most reasonable, you might need some deflating. And if this is you, you expect other people to recognize that your feelings and your thoughts on any given subject make the most sense. And and it goes even further than that. Not, not, Not only do you want people to know that you're right, but you insist that they recognize you're right and agree on the subject the same way that you do. Bottom line, people in your life know that it's not okay for them to disagree with you with how you think or how you feel. Uh, but listen, the truth is, we are constantly overestimating our own feelings, our own opinions on all kinds of different subjects. I, I was reading uh, about a survey that a, a dating, whites, dating website did. Um, they asked a question of thousands of the members of their website. And I found one question very interesting. It was like, are you a genius? Would you consider yourself a genius? Yes or no? On the survey, thousands of people surveyed, the men especially, the number stood out because the men, two out of five men, right, almost half said, well, if you're going to corner me on this, you know, um, yeah, technically, technically, yeah, you could consider me a genius, right? Two out of five, right? Now, statistically, that number should be like one in a a thousand, right? One in a thousand. And, and, And I love the... The headline for the article, two out of five men consider themselves one out of a thousand, right? (laughs) I thought, yeah, that's the problem with us, right? Like, we overestimate our own capacity. We tend to not always have an accurate view of ourselves. We want everybody to agree with how we think and how we feel. And, And that's all rooted in pride, and it always causes conflict. Proverbs 13, 10 says, where there is strife, there is what? There's pride. There's pride. If your desires are the most important, you might need some deflating. Now, this is a little different than your feelings and thoughts because this is what you want, right? This is what you want. So if there's a car full of people and you're trying to decide where to eat, it just seems reasonable that whatever you want is what... Everyone else should want, right? I mean, obviously, right? I mean, everyone honestly wants to go where you want to go, right? That just makes sense. And it just seems that your desires are always the most important. The music that gets played, the shows that are watched, or the way the job gets done. Next, if you always think it's the other person who needs to apologize or change, you might need some deflating. Now, now Jesus talked. On the Sermon on Mount, about how we have this tendency to, to see the, 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 the speck in our brother's eyes and ignore the log in our own eyes. That's what pride does. You see, not only does pride blind us to our own weaknesses, but it magnifies the weaknesses of, of, of other people. And oftentimes, we justify broken relationships or constant conflict or anger issues by saying, well, if this person would do this differently, then I wouldn't have to respond the way I'm responding. And we just instinctively blame everybody else. We focus on what they need to do differently, how they need to change, and why they need to be the one to say, hey, I was sorry. Next, if you tend to be negative and critical instead of positive and grateful, you might need some deflating. And I said, some of you have experienced this. Like, your negativity has alienated the people in your life from you. I mean, they feel like no matter how hard they try, it's never going to be good enough. And they feel like it doesn't matter what kind of effort they put forward, because you're still going to find something that they could have done differently. And when this happens, eventually people in your life, they just stop trying. And so maybe your spouse, this is their whole marriage strategy, to be in a different room than you. Because they know that if they're in the same room with you, it's going to get critical and it's going to be negative and they're just tired. Or maybe you've had friends or family members that just drifted out of your life because of the negativity and eventually they just didn't have anything left in the tank. Let me summarize it this way. The language of pride is complaining and criticizing. Anybody fluent in that language? The language of humility is what? Gratitude and encouragement. And, and lastly, if you keep thinking of other people who need to hear this, you might need some deflating. Uh, like as we gone through this list, you're like, I'm so glad they came to church today. My spouse, man, they need to hear this. Or you think about, man, they're not here. My spouse is not here. My friend's not here. I'm going to have to let them know. It's online. Go on Facebook Live. You need to check this message out. You really need to hear this. All right? So if that's you, if you're tending to see this more than everybody else and not you, that probably means that you may have the problem. The Bible says in Obadiah 3, how many came to church today thinking to hear something from Obadiah, right? The pride of your heart has deceived you. In other words, pride causes me to say, hey, I'm good. I'm good with this. I got this pride thing down. I'm, I'm, I'm good. But I know some other people that are not so good. And it's okay if you want to keep on saying that. But understand, that's what pride does. And so let me just go back to the question asked at the beginning. Is it possible, right? Is it possible that you struggle with pride? That pride is one of your struggles? Listen, the real issue, I'll answer that for you. It's not if pride exists in your heart. It's where pride exists. And how pride is being expressed in your life. Right? The real issue is not if, it's where, and then how are you expressing it in your life? Now, before we move on to the final point, I'll read this quote from John Stott about pride. This is really good. Um, it'll, it'll be on the screen, it's not in your notes. At every stage of our Christian development, in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is our greatest, what? Enemy. And humility, our greatest friend. Which means it's time to try, humilify. (laughs) Complete the following sentence. God helps those who... Okay, if you thought, if you thought, helps themselves, hey, that's not the answer, Maybe that's not in the Bible, right? And you know what? Sometimes that's not even true, right? God doesn't always help those who help themselves. But let me tell you something that's always true: God helps those who humble themselves, right? You see, as much as God opposes pride and is against pride, He is for and lifts up the humble. Proverbs eighteen twenty-seven: You save the humble. Proverbs twenty-five nine: The Lord guides the humble in what is right. Psalm 147, 6, the Lord supports the humble. Uh, Proverbs eleven two, with humility comes wisdom. Matthew 23, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6, God gives grace to the humble. And I really like this one found in the final chapter of Isaiah. Uh, By the way, Isaiah, you find the word pride or proud used more times in Isaiah than any other book, including Proverbs, because there were a whole lot of leaders and nations and people that were full of pride and and did not rely on God and God's ways. And here's what God says. Um, I'm going to read the first part, and then the the second part comes on the screen. Uh, Isaiah 66, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth my footstool. That's that's pretty big footstool right (laughs) what house could you possibly build for me and what place could be my home my hand made all these things and so they came into being this is the lord's declaration this is the one to whom i look he was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word I understand nothing escapes God's notice. I mean, he's aware of all things, but though he's aware of everything, he's also searching for something in particular, something that acts like a magnet to capture the attention of God and invite his active involvement. You see, God is decisively drawn to humility. This is the one to whom I look. The person who is humble is the one who draws God's attention, is the one who, according to the scriptures we read, is the one who got saves, is the one who God supports, exalts, and guides, and gives wisdom and grace to. That's not too shabby of a list, especially when compared to, will not tolerate, detest, and tear down. So the question is, if God gives all this to the humble, where do we get it? Right? How do I get it? First of all, we gotta understand humility is not something done to us. We have to choose it, right? Because everywhere in Scripture we see humble, what? Humble yourself, right? Humble, humble yourself. It's something that we have to do. That means humility is a choice. Humility is something that we can practice, just like you practice riding a bike or driving a car or playing a musical instrument, right? You know, when you practice and you do something over and over and over again, right? You start to get good at, right? And so, there's some things we can practice to learn humility. But the good news I have for you guys is if like, you're kind of lazy, and you're like, wow, that practice has seemed like a lot of work, I discovered something absolutely incredible. Check this out, y'all. <laughs> uh, uh, that's so good. And, and, and and I'm sorry, the pill doesn't exist, right? It would be great, right? I I take that pill today, right? I I take it and, you know, I create one of those pyramids things with it, right? Make a lot of money. Uh, (laughs) um, However, there are some practices that you can adopt, that you can embrace, that'll help you make friends with humility and overcome your greatest enemy, pride. And again, like any Remember the first time you tried to ride a bike? You probably was awkward and uncomfortable. You had to think about it a lot, right? That's how it is with these. You know, it may be difficult, right? Um, number one, uh, practice giving up your rights to others. Uh, your attitude should be the kind that was shown by Jesus Christ, who though he was God, did not demand and cling to his rights as God. Is that easy for you to do? To give up your rights, to give preference to another person, to let someone else go first? imagine you're standing at the Kroger line longest line slowest line you have the picture you're waiting you're in a hurry the guy behind you keeps hitting you with his cart a three-year-old is screaming for a piece of candy the person in front of you must have a family of 22 and every coupon ever printed on the face of the earth <laughs> and the audacity to use it a, a check then all of a sudden you hear those magical words over the intercom Lane four is now open, no waiting. What do you do at that moment? A, do you take the Rambo approach and knock over small children and the elderly to get to that lane? (laughs) B, do you grab a ham, stick it under your shirt and say, pregnant lady, let me through? C, do you try the misdirection approach? Oh, hey, lane four is open. (laughs) Then you run to lane four and send them the wrong direction. What do you do? It's a if you let others go first to so give up your rights. Uh, Leonard Bernstein, the famous orchestra conductor, was once asked, "What is the most difficult instrument to play?" Know what he said? Second fiddle. Why? Because everybody wants to be on top, right? But only one person can be number one. Everyone else has to be backup. Because it takes everybody doing their part to make it work. Message Bible words it this way. Practice playing second fiddle. And Jesus, perfect example, right? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his righteous God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he immediately humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. I mean, do you understand... Can you even comprehend how far God stepped down? Uh, Jesus willingly humbled himself, gave up all the treasures of heaven, right? Gave up his position in heaven. And he didn't just come to earth as a human, be bad enough. He came as a tiny baby, right? So now the, uh, he's dependent on the people he created to take care of him, right? You know, uh, you know hands that, that once had formed the universe and set the stars in place now just move around and, can do barely nothing, and the voice that spoke the world into existence cannot even form a word. And he took it even further, became humbled, and died on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. We're to do the same thing. Now, now here, here's some things that maybe you can do that give up your rights and, and practice humility in this way. Two things. Uh, rather than always doing the talking, actively listen. Choose discomfort so others can be comfortable. Build somebody up who has this, in the same ability that you have. Take a personal loss so someone else can win. Serve in an area of weakness. That can be tough, right? We like to serve in areas we're good at so people think we're awesome, right? Um, take the spotlight off yourself and shine it on other people. Refuse to boast no matter how good you think you are. Go with someone else's plan in, in an area that doesn't matter all that much. You need to practice giving up your rights. You need to practice learning from others. Being open to suggestion, being able to take correction, even open to criticism is a major component of humility because part of humility is teachability. Are you open to correction? Can you learn from criticism? Are you able to learn from other people? Are you teachable? If you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. You see, whenever we're criticized, it's a test of our humility, right? Anytime we're criticized, God is testing our humility to see if we're going to respond in a defensive way, an offensive way, or in a humble way. Instruct a wise man, and he's wiser still. Teach a righteous man who will add to his learning. You see, humble people, they're always learning because they're open to correction. They're always ready to learn new things. Well, wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. See, the truth is we got to decide whether we we want to be wise or appear wise, whether we want to be smart or whether we want to uh, uh, appear smart. If our goal is to appear smart and to appear wise, we can't let people know that we don't know something. And so we'll have to dance through certain situations. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. In the process, we'll never learn anything. Proverbs 15.4 says an intelligent person is always eager to take in more truth. Practice giving up your rights. Practice learning from others. Practice admitting when you are wrong. You see, we need to follow the truth wherever it leads. If it leads to you're wrong, follow it. If it leads to you need to say you're sorry, follow it. Follow the truth wherever it leads. And this can be easier for some of us than for for others of us, but we all need to get this down because we all make mistakes. You know what? I, I can even make a mistake when I'm admitting I'm wrong. You see, it's easy for me to to admit I'm wrong if I only have to own it for 15 seconds. Hey, I'm sorry I was wrong, but if you, but if this, right? If I don't own it, I I can say I'm wrong all the time, as long as I can quickly pass that hot potato back to you. In fact, I need to be brutally honest. Say, I'm sorry I was wrong. Oh, my mistakes. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Amen? I mean, don't make people break your arm and pin you in the mat to own up to your mistakes. You see, the crazy thing is, you know, we don't want to admit our mistakes because we don't want people to know that we're not perfect. Guess what? I already know. (laughs) Guess what? They already know your mistake. And what you find is that when you own up to your mistakes, your value does not go down. It actually goes up. Actually goes up. I mean, several years ago, I remember being in, in a meeting, and and God had really crushed me on how prideful I can be. And, and I went in that meeting and just praying, God, it's going to be a tough meeting. And God, I pray, help me to be the most humble person in that room. Please help me. I remember sitting across from a guy who I had been in disagreements with, and, and I came at it with humility. And I go like, wow, humility is powerful. Tragically, the guy was blown away by the spirit that I had at the time, and, which meant my spirit was kind of not so good before. You know, but I just saw the power of it. Just owning your mistakes, admitting when you're wrong, you know, is a powerful thing. You know, and I got to keep getting better at it, you know, because I'm still, like I said, I'm still messed up. Fourth, we can grow in humility by practicing doing deeds in secret. Do your good deeds, don't do them publicly to be admired by others. And, and, And here's what I mean by that. Pride wants the attention on us. I did something. I want you to see it, so you praise me. And when we do things in secret. And purposely keep the light off of us, it hits our pride with a blow, right? So maybe you could do this. Maybe pick someone in your life and immerse that person in prayer for the rest of the year. I mean, pray every day for them and don't tell anybody you're doing it. Um, make a sacrificial gift to someone, you know, uh, in the community or in the church or in your family, but don't let anybody know that you did it. You come and do something for somebody somewhere in the church, outside the church, and keep it in secret. What about you? I do something good. I, I, I find a way to, I, I want the news to leak out, right? I want there to be a leaker somewhere. Can, can someone leak this out? Because I, I want everybody you know, I just did something pretty awesome. And I want them to find out about it. But man, we do it in secret, man. You're, 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 you're giving humility a death blow. And, and, and finally, practice living in the awareness of both the greatness of God and the wonder of the cross. Practice living in awareness of the greatness of God and the wonder of the cross. When you think about how big God is, when you think about how powerful God is, when you think about He's always existing, right? We need Him to exist. He does not need us to exist. He is self existing. We are not. When you reflect on his greatness, the earth is his footstool, right? It's kind of hard, isn't it? Shouldn't it be at least hard to be, to be prideful when you constantly, hey, I've got to be aware of God's greatness. So you got to practice living in awareness of the greatness of God by being in his word, seeing the things that he's done, and, 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 and then you have to practice living in the awareness of the, of the wonder of the cross, I like what Martin Lloyd Jones wrote. Please lean in and hear it. The only thing I know of that crushes me to the ground and humiliate, and humiliates me to the dust, and that is to look at the Son of God and especially contemplate the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, by riches gain I count but loss and poor content. On all my pride. He writes, Nothing else can do it. When I see that I am a sinner, that nothing but the Son of God on the cross can save me, I'm humbled to the dust. Nothing but the cross can give us this spirit of humility. John Stott writes, Every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, I'm here because of you. It's your sin I'm bearing, your curse I'm suffering, your debt. I'm paying your death. I'm dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. Love is not proud. There is a hate that God loves. And you know what? God brought you here to tell you that you might need some deflating. And God is wanting each of us to pursue humility. The practice giving up our rights. The practice learning from others. The practice admitting we're wrong. And maybe some in this room have someone Someone in this room that they need to say that to before they leave this room or sometime this week. And and keep your butt out of it. You know what I mean? Well, that sounded really weird. Right? Don't say, I'm sorry, but I was tired. I had a hard day at work. Life is just crazy. The Patriots lost. You know, know. (laughs) yeah. Keep your butt out of it. Right? Just say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. You know? Maybe you need to do that. You know, practice doing deeds in secret. Every dollar you send my way, just don't put a note on it. Right? <laughs> I want to bless you with humility. Word, right? You want to buy me a new car in secret? That's, if God is moving your house, just kidding. Right? <laughs> but just practice doing things in secret. Now, I, I guarantee you, your pride pride's going to say, Gosh, I want somebody to know i got to put her on Facebook somehow, right? You know, do it in secret. And practice living and awareness of the greatness of our God and the wonder of his cross. Would you stand with me? Every week at Maple Grove, we take communion. And we're going to do that right now. Our communion is off to the side. And what you'll find is a tray. And in that tray, you'll find a cup with a cracker and a, and a cup with juice in it, right? And, and, and uh, this is something Jesus asked us to do, right? He says, do this till I come back. Until I come back, I want you to keep doing this and do this in remembrance of me, who I am and what I did, how I feel about you. In remembrance of how I humbled myself, I want you to humble yourself. And, and so after the song, we're going to go off to the side, and you'll, you'll have the opportunity to take communion. That's where we collect our offerings as well. But I'm going to pray. Listen to the song, Jesus, we love you. And Jesus, I pray that the song that we're about to sing truly does what the word says. I pray that it truly leads us to the cross, and I pray that it truly empties us of ourself. And we're so happy and grateful that we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.